each one of you. Afternoon, I can't say evening, good afternoon. Nice to see you so shortly once again. I'm glad you're here. For all the guests who are with us tonight, thank you so much for joining us this afternoon in, in time of praise and study of God's Word. Thank you for being here. Let's open our Bibles together to 1 Peter chapter 1, please. Our study will take place from that text. 1 Peter chapter 1, it's not going to be on the screen, and I'd love for you to read it in your Bibles and follow along as we study God's words together. And while you're opening your Bibles and making your way there, let me just say how thankful I am to this good con congregation for the incredible weekend that you've given me. I've just been so thankful to spend time with you, so uplifted by the way that you love God and the way that you worship God, so touched by your kindness, uplifted by your encouragement. To these good shepherds here and your wives, thank you so much for a kind afternoon and for inviting me to spend this time with you. For all of you who had me in your homes or took me out and just filled me full of food and joy, thank you so very much. This has been a wonderful weekend, and I, I hope that you are... are benefited or have benefited from the things I've brought. I feel like I'm leaving greater than what I've, I've brought to you. I'm not saying it well. I didn't get my nap this afternoon. I, I know some of you understand what that means. But I just really want to express to you how thankful I am. Great things are happening here at this church. I'm thankful for what you're doing. I'm thankful for your faith. I thank you for your, exam, uh, your example here. I'm so thankful for the things that you're doing. Keep up your good work. I'm so impressed by the way that you love one another and you love the Lord. And that's just a, and a, a tremendous thing to, to not take for granted. Not every congregation has a love like you have for one another or for the Lord. So thank you for what you're doing. Keep on doing it well. It's been a wonderful to be with Brother David. I've known of Brother David for, for all of my life. Heard of him and, and all of his great work. And it's been so good to be encouraged by him. And, and I, I'm thankful for all that you do and continue to do in the kingdom. And you've blessed me for spending time with Tim. I know why you like Tim. I know why you love Tim. Uh, and in many ways, I'm envious that you get to have Tim. I wish I could have him with me. Uh, he's a fantastic preacher. He's a fantastic Christian. His love for the Lord and passion for his word is just contagious. And so, thank you for taking care of Tim. Thank you for loving him. And when you're done with him, send him to Texas and he has a home with us, his wedding. No, thank you for allowing me to spend time with my brother, my friend. It's been, it's been a wonderful weekend. In many ways, there's a story I heard that, that fits this all so well. It's this little boy who went up to the preacher at the end of his sermon in the back of, uh, of the building, and he handed him $5. He says, I, I heard you needed this. He goes, where'd you hear that from? He goes, well, my dad. He says, what did your dad say? He says, well, he always says that you're the poorest preacher he's ever heard. Please take the money. <laughs> I like that. I like that little story. There's something very humbling about preaching the gospel. It's humbling that God would let someone so very imperfect like myself to carry his perfect words and to share them with, with such fine people as yourselves. And it's humbling that people like you would, would come together and show such kindness and love to someone who in one moment was a stranger to you, and, and yet we're leaving here with, with good relationships. We're leaving here with a bond, and I'm thankful for that. In fact, there's a song we sing in our hymn book that I think puts it well. The hymn goes, a common love for one another, a common gift to the Savior, a common bond holding us to the Lord. A common strength when we're weary, a common hope for tomorrow, common joy in the truth of God's word. We share a lot in common, brethren, and I'm thankful for that. I'll be praying for you and your work, and I, I hope you'll keep me and my family in prayers. I fly out tomorrow morning, and I got, I got two little boys and, and a wife who, who are excited to see me when I come home. So I cover your prayers to go back home. We're going to be talking tonight about that common hope, the common hope for tomorrow. You know what makes it common? We share it. We all hope for the same things. We all long for the same things. And that's what hope is. Hope is a longing or an expectation of that which is to come. It's not here yet, but it's coming. And boy, we can't wait for it to come. 
That's hope. We all share the same things. We're asking a question tonight, an interesting question. What is there to hope for? What do we have as God's people to hope for? And I'll tell you this, as God's people, as his Christians, we ought to be able to answer that question. You know, Peter said in the book of 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 15, he says, Sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. I think sometimes we misuse this passage by saying you need to be ready to answer every question anyone has at any time. That's, that's not what he's saying. He says you need to be ready to defend the hope you have in Christ. Why is it good to be a Christian? Why is it good to belong to Christ? What do we have as God's people to look forward to? That's, that's the answer we're looking for here. And so if I belong to Christ, if I belong to God, I ought to be able to, to answer that question, what do we have in Christ to look forward to? What are we expecting? What hope is there for God's people? And I'll tell you, the answer to that question is the heart of evangelism. We're sharing with the world, this is why you need Jesus. This is why you need God in your life. But also the answer to this question is the source of our strength and our courage, and as we're saying, our assurance even in, in those dark times. And so we're looking at 1 Peter chapter 1 because I believe in 1 Peter chapter 1, Peter answers this question. And what Peter shows us is, all the things that everyone wants. Every person, whether it's a Christian or a non-Christian, someone who is young or someone who is old, we all want the same things out of life. The thing is, we go looking for it in different places. Some go looking for these things in, in their jobs or in their relationships or in money or in wealth. We all want the same things. We just don't find it by looking at the same source. And so read it with me. This is 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning of verse 3. He said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, you who are protected by the power of God through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. I love that. What is it? What does everyone want? Well, I believe everyone wants family. It talks about God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Everyone wants family. There's not a stronger, closer, more intimate relationship under this Son, under, under God in this life than our family. And so our greatest moments, we want our family there. Whether it's a wedding or a birth or a graduation, we want family there to celebrate. And in our darkest moments, our lowest moments, times of loss, times of grief, we pull in our family because there's no one who who we love more and lean on more and trust more than our family. But you know, you know as well as I do, not everyone knows what it's like to have a family. You know, not everyone knows what it's like to have a father or a mother. Not everyone knows what it's like to have siblings, to have grandparents, to have cousins. There was a time in Chattanooga, Tim and I were blessed to be able to go to the Chattanooga prison. And I'd say if you ever want to see Tim blush, just take him into a prison and sit him next to some guys who've had some, some hard times. We would go to the prison every Wednesday, and we would speak before an audience of about 15 to 20 men. And those men were different. They were different in their ages, different in their ethnicities, different in why, as to why they were in prison. But they all shared one thing in common. You know what it was? They didn't have dad. They didn't have a father in the home. Either he wasn't there in the home, or the man who was in the home wasn't the dad that they needed. I mean, why is it, brother? Why is it that young men turn themselves over to violence at a young age? Why is it that young ladies sell themselves and their bodies? Why is it that young people rush into gangs? Well, it's because they're looking for something. 
They're looking for something that's missing in their life. It's that longing to belong. I want to know that someone loves me and wants me and that I belong somewhere. Everyone wants family. Everyone wants to know that there's a home waiting for them and that they're loved. And here Peter says, God is not just the God and Father of Jesus Christ. You remember what Jesus said when he said in that model prayer in Matthew chapter 6? Pray then in this way, our Father. There's something very profound that happens when we obey Christ, when we submit to the gospel. It's not this that Jesus takes away our sins. And that, that's true. He does. But Paul makes it clear when we submit to the gospel and give our lives to Christ, we become a part of his family. He adopts us as his children. Adoption. You will wear my name. You will live in my home. You will sit at my table and you will eat my food. You will have a share in my inheritance. You will have a roof over your head. You will have love and protection the rest of your life because you are mine. You are my child, you are my son, and you are my daughter. God invites us to be his. Everyone wants family. We have real family in God who wants us to be his children, to be his. And really, in a real sense, it's not just that when we obey the gospel, we become the children of God. When we obey the gospel, we get a whole family, don't we? At 1 Timothy 3.15, Paul calls the church the household of the living God. I love this scene. I know you've seen it too. When someone obeys the gospel and they don't really have a family. They don't have brothers or sisters. They don't have a, a real connection with their parents. And so they obey the gospel, maybe to Sunday morning, and they are baptized. Once they come out of the baptistry and out of that door, you know what, what they find? Long, long line. The brothers and sisters are not just saying, hey, welcome. Glad you're here. Good job. No, they're hugging on them and they're kissing on them and they're saying, oh, we're so glad you're here. We're so glad you're part of the family. I can't wait to know you better. We love you. Everyone wants family. And we have that in Christ. We have that in God. Everyone wants renewal. He says he's caused us to be born again. Have you ever had those days in your life where you wish there was the reset button? You could push it and say, let's just do that again. Let's start that over. I love the prayer that was said by a person who said, dear Lord, I have been good today. I have not cursed. I have not slandered. I've not been mean or rude or crude. But Lord, it's 10 a.m. And I've got to get out of bed. And I'm going to need all the help I can get in Jesus' name. Amen. That's, <laughs> ever have those days? I just wish I could take it back. Wish I could take those words back. Those of you who are older, do you wish that you could go back to the high school years now and the college years now and relive what you wish you knew then? It's renewal. It's the idea, is there any way I could have a second chance a chance to start over, to start new, to start fresh. Because let's be honest, in life, we don't get that. If you mess up at the job, you're fired. If you mess up at school, you're expelled. And you're not given a second chance. And sometimes in our relationships, we see this. If you break trust, if you break someone's heart, sometimes there's a break in that relationship and reconciliation is not offered. But in God, there's hope for something different. You notice that phrase up there that he uses? Born again. And so the idea of Christ forgiving our sins, it's not just that you are forgiven. You get to start over new. The slate is wiped clean. The stains are removed. The past is forgiven. You are a new person. So that's what Paul would say. He would say in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 17 that you are a new creature, a new person. That means a new heart, a new mind, a new will, thus a new future, all because of what happened in Christ. Let's be honest, brethren. There are people in your life today who would do anything to know this truth. They look in the mirror and what they see they hate. 
Because what they see is someone with a trail of addiction or a past of broken relationships, and they would do anything to know it's not too late. It's not too late for you to start over. You can have a second chance. You can be forgiven. You can redeem your future. There are people who think it's too late for me. And they would long to know God's not done with you yet. You can make a difference in this life. You can have a better future. You can end better than how you started. And even for us, the redeemed, the forgiven, to remember what we forget sometimes, and that is when we have fallen and we break God's commandments. That John wrote, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and righteous to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That there's hope and forgiveness in Christ. We who turn, we who confess, we who come back, God's not done with you. There's hope for renewal, forgiveness, a new chance, a chance to start over. That's only found in God. We long for eternity. I love the phrase he says that we have a living hope, an inheritance which is imperishable, undefiled, and will not fade away. Because everything around us ends. The best vacation you ever had began and came to an end. The best book you ever read, even all those seven volumes of Harry Potter, there's 700 pages in each one, eventually it came to an end. Or the best movie that you ever watched, you would wish, oh, I just wish it could keep on going. It came to an end. The best football game, Alabama and Auburn, you're thinking, this is great. Eventually it came to an end. Because everything around us comes to an end, and even us. Oh, we take our vitamins and we exercise and we put on the cream and the hair dye, but eventually this body is going to run down and come to an end. But we long for something to last. In fact, God, God designed us that very way. Ecclesiastes 3.11, He made us with eternity in our hearts. That is, we long for something to last. We long for the good blessings of life to last. But you know what the irony of this is? Ecclesiastes 3 and verse 2 says, There's a time to be born and a time to, to die. And so we're made with that longing for eternity, but everything around us dies. Everything around us ends. It comes to an end. But Peter says there's something you can have. There's something you can have in Christ, and it won't end. It won't fade. You look at that language. Imperishable, undefiled, will not end. And I want you to know why. Go back in that context. That in verse 4. To obtain an inheritance which is imperishable, undefiled, will not fade away. You hear that language? Look why in the, in the end of verse 3. He's caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. The reason that your hope won't fade away, the reason your hope won't end, the reason your hope is imperishable is because it is given by a God who lives. In other words, you have a living hope because that hope was given by a living Lord. He lives. And so death, pain, Suffering, nothing can steal the hope you have in Christ. And so Paul would say in Romans 6 verse 9, Jesus himself, he has been raised from the dead and he is never to die again. Death is no longer master. Look at that phrase, master over him. Jesus came and he submitted to death once. That was Calvary. That is no longer. Revelation 1 and verse 18 says, he holds the keys of death and Hades. That's what this means. That even if I suffer and I lose all the things that mean the most to me, even if I lose my own life, Christ has something that can never be taken away. My hope doesn't end in the grave. My hope for renewal, my hope for peace, my hope for family, that doesn't end in death. 
I have something that goes beyond the grave, beyond to eternity, because what happened to Christ is promised for us. If we have become united with, uh, with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. We will rise too. The hope for a home and peace and love and the presence of God, that doesn't end in death, brethren. No, death is just the beginning. Because in Christ we have something that will never fade. It will never go away. Death cannot touch the promise and the hope in Christ. We long for that which will last. And we long for security. We, he says, who are protected through the power of God. I won't ask tonight, because I know it's likely, as it is in Texas, assumed that there are people in this congregation who come packing, ready for action at any moment. That's the thing. If anyone comes to the church in Texas, it's going to be an okay corral. Because we've learned something, haven't we? Times have changed. There used to be a time you could just go to a movie and not think twice. The only thing you're thinking about is popcorn, M&M's, both combination. That's the only thing you're thinking about. You drop your kids off in the morning, send them off to school, and the only thing you're thinking about is, I just got to be back at 2, pick them up at 2. You send your kids off to college, and the only thing you're thinking about is, will they do their laundry? Will they eat? But that's not today. Our world has been shattered by evil. To where even here, who would imagine, even in, in a place of worship, we have to take certain measures to make sure that we're safe. Protection is very important to us. Knowing and relying and, and understanding their safety. Keeping myself and those who mean the most to me safe. But let's be honest, as much as we could do to keep ourselves safe, even if we had the state-of-the-art systems to keep everything safe, there's really nothing we could do to protect one another from the inevitable evils or death that comes to all of us. There's not real protection under the sun. But Peter says there is one who's willing to protect you. There is one who's willing to be at your aid in your time of great need, and that's the one who holds the world in his hands. If you're looking for real protection, real safety, a real sense of security, it's not found in higher walls. It's not found in greater arms or weaponry. It's found by placing your life in the hands of God, who the psalmist would say is a refuge and a strength, a very, help in, a very present help in times of trouble. Here's what this does not mean. I believe in God. I'm a Christian, so he's going to keep me safe from all harm and all suffering and all pain. Wrong. That's not what that means. What it means is that God is with you. What it means is that God is able to care and protect what means the most, and that is your soul. That doesn't mean I'm not going to face hardship. What it means is even though I go through the valleys of the shadow of death, I don't have to go through those valleys alone. Isn't that what the psalmist said? Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil, for you are with me. A very present help in times of trouble. We long for all these things, brethren. Everyone, doesn't matter who they are, everyone wants a family to know that they belong. Everyone wants renewal, to, to know that even in the mess of their past, they could be forgiven, that there's hope for them. Everyone wants eternity, something that will last, finally last, that the good things and the good blessings and the good times will, will last, and everyone wants to be safe and secure. You know, and, and in a real sense, we have this today, right? We have family, we're a family, and God's our Father. And we have a renewal, Right? If we have obeyed the gospel and been forgiven by the blood of Jesus Christ, we've started over anew. We are that new person. And in a real sense, we have eternal life. 1 John 5, 13. These things I've written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know you have eternal life. We can have that today. And in a real sense, we're protected by God today. God is with us everywhere we are. 
But look in this context. There's an interesting phrase in verse 4. The verse ends by saying this. All these things, these promises, the inheritance, the hope that we have in Christ. The last words of verse 4 says this. Reserved in heaven for you. In other words, the greatest things that we long for and hope for, while we can have them in a sense here today, their greatest fulfillment, our greatest enjoyment, the greatest giving, demonstration of these hope will be found when we, when we all go home, when we go to heaven. Because we long for family. John gives us that picture in the end of, of God's revelation. And he says it this way. Revelation 21 verse 3, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he shall dwell among them. They shall be his people, and God himself shall be among them. Think of that. We will live with God, which means we're not going to have to wonder what does God sound like. Is it James Earl Jones? Is it Don Truex? <laughs> what does God sound like? What is his voice? I'm going to know because I'm going to hear. I'm going to hear his voice. And beyond that, I'm going to see his face. Think of that. How many people through history long to see God? Moses, let me see you. No one can see my face and live, but one day we will see the king. We'll see his face. That's family. And I know I'm talking to loved ones here tonight. I'm talking to my beloved brethren who have who've had to bury some of your loved ones. And there's going to be a day you're going to be with them again. And that's not going to end. That day will never come to an end. You talk about a family reunion. That day will come when we go home. We all long for renewal, to be forgiven. Well, when we look at this picture of God's people in heaven, you know how we're pictured? It's not God looking at me and saying, oh, Jordan, I remember what you did in your 20s. I remember that one thing. I remember how you acted. Did you remember what you did in your 30s? How awful that was what you said? That's not what's pictured here. God's people pictured in heaven is pictured as a bride. He says, come here and I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. And he goes on from here to describe her in all these beautiful jewels and stones, God's people are depicted in beauty, cleansed, renewed, pure. No show, no evidence of spot or stain or sin. Those days are long gone. That sin is far removed and God's people are pure, white, clean, beautiful in His presence. They're renewed, fully renewed in His presence. We long for that which will last, last for eternity. Well, Revelation 21 says, the day we go to heaven is the day death dies. There will no longer be any death. No death. We sing that song in Amazing Grace when we've been there 10,000 years, right, shining as the sun. We've no less days to sing God's praise as when we first begun. 10,000 years won't scratch our time with God. No end. And yes, for some that's scary when they're apart from God. No end of suffering. No end of punishment. But for we... For we the redeemed, for we who belong to Christ, and no, it's never going to end. Nothing will stop that blessing. Nothing will stop that time with God. It will be forever. What a hope. And we long for protection. To know that we're safe. To know that we're free from harm. Well, Revelation 20, as confusing for some as it is, Revelation 20 paints a powerful picture for our enemy. Revelation 20 paints what happens in the future to our enemy, Satan. Talks about how Satan himself is destined and doomed for the lake of fire. Now hear me now. When Satan seeks to remind you of your past, all the times that you have failed God, all the times that you've sinned, he says, what are you doing? Who are you kidding? You can't be forgiven. You can't make a difference. You remember what you've done. Listen, every time Satan reminds you of your past, remind him of his future. 
He is destined and doomed for the lake of fire. There will be a day he will be no more. No more evil. No more temptation. No more wrong. Look on the screen. No more crying. No more mourning. No more pain. All the things that cause us suffering. All the things that cause us tears. They're gone when we go to heaven. All the things we long for will be there when we go home. And so we asked the question this morning, what is there to hope for? What do we have to hope for? You know, the answer to that, in a sense, is what the world needs to know. Our friends need to know. There's such great things in store for those who belong to Christ. But let's be honest tonight. The question really isn't for those who aren't Christians. This question is for us. This question is for Christians, for God's people. Because as much as we have God's word and his promises already given to us, we are a people who tend to forget the great and blessed hope we have in Christ. Any of you, any of you know Vic, uh, Victor Frankel, man on screen? Have you are familiar with his name? One and a half. So Victor Frankel was a young doctor during the Holocaust, taken and imprisoned in those imprisonment camps. He survived. He lived through them. In fact, he wrote many books about his experience. One book was called Man's Search for Meaning. And in the book, he wrote about his experience, what he saw, the difference between those who survived and, and those who died. And in fact, he noticed that there was one characteristic that made the difference between those who lived and those who died. There was hope. That was it, hope. And so those who gave up the hope of ever getting out, of ever escaping, have ever seen their family again, as soon as they lost the hope for living, they faded. Even those who were strong in the flesh, strong in the body, when they gave up their hope for ever getting out and living, they faded and they died. But those who held on to it, one day I will get out. One day I will escape. I will see my family again. They made it. They survived. Brethren, it is no different for us. When we lose our hope, when we forget or live as if we have no hope in Christ, Despair replaces our joy. I mean, think about it. We have every reason to be the most joyful people on the earth, and yet sometimes God's people are the most miserable. Oh, they complain and they fuss about everything. If it's not the weather, it's the government and every official by name in alphabetical order. You look on Facebook. Do you see joy or do you see complaint? Do you, do you see despair? Despair replaces our joy. And in that same vein, fear replaces faith. Oh, we don't have faith. We're afraid. We're afraid of the future. We're afraid of elections. We're afraid for our family. We're afraid of the church. Everything is going down the tubes. We're afraid. We have no faith that God will reign. We have no faith that God is in control, that everything will be according to His will. We don't have faith. We have fear. And because of that, we don't pray. We worry more and we pray less. Instead of giving God my concerns and giving Him my cares, I'm just going to bottle it all in and I'm just going to worry. And we don't sleep right. And we don't eat right. And we don't live right. Because instead of trusting on God, we just worry and we stress and we get anxiety and depression because we're bottling all of this in. And then ultimately, unlike the song we sang, we have doubt. Doubt rather than confidence. Where's our confidence in God? Where's our confidence in His Word? And even this, where's our confidence in our soul's salvation? Because I would imagine if we were to ask the question tonight, Tonight were your last night, and the Lord himself returned. Would you go home? Would you go to heaven? And there are many who say, I don't know. Oh, I want to. I want to go to heaven more than anything. But if he returned, 
and you're asking me, am I sure I'm going to go to heaven? I don't know. I don't know. Don't we hear that in our prayers? Lord, we, we hope to go to heaven. We would like to go to heaven. Where's the confidence? Where's that 1 John 5.13 that you may know you have eternal life? Where's our hope? Where's the hope for His grace? Where's the hope for His strength? Where's the hope for His promises He's given to us? Sometimes we're a lot like those prisoners in those camps. Oh yeah, we, we have turmoil. We have pain. But we've forgotten that we have something to live for. Something to long for. Something that we know is coming. I think the psalmist says it best. The psalmist says it this way in Psalm 42 and verse 11. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God. For I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. That really is the answer to our question. What is there to hope for? Well, I hope for family to be reunited with the grand family one day. And, and I hope for eternity, for something to last forever. I hope for real renewal, no, no sign of sin or spot in my life. And I would hope to be safe. Yes, I hope for all those things. But really the answer is God. What do you hope in? God. A God who rescues and redeems. A God who's able to take from my past all the sin and the stain and to remove it through His grace and the blood of Jesus Christ. I hope in God. God who can give the victory even when it seems impossible. A God who can provide even when it seems there's no way forward. I hope in God who can even take our lowest moments. Who can take something as painful and disgraceful as death. And yet still give us hope. Still give us meaning. Still give us purpose. Give us something to look for even at the grave. In your Bibles, go with me to 1 Thessalonians 4. I want you to see why. Even in death... God is able to give us what we long for. Where death shouts at a, at a closed door, at the, at the sealed tomb, Christ through God bursts open the grave, clamors, slams open the door, and reminds us death is not the end in Him. Death will not have the final word, not in Christ. He says in verse 14 of 1 Thessalonians 4, If we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. What's he saying here? Death doesn't have the final word in Christ. Death hurts. Death is painful. Death was never a part of God's plan. And so when we have been robbed by a loved one, when we have tasted the bitter sting when death has taken someone so dear and near to us away. Paul reminds us that's not the end of the story, not in Christ. There will be a day. There will be a time. Christ will return and they will live. They will come back. And we will be with them and we will be with the Lord forever. But notice how we started this back in verse 13. We do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep, 
so that you will not grieve as to the rest who have no hope. What's he saying? You have hope. You have hope. Don't forget your hope. Don't forget the promises you have in Christ. You have something for Christ. Something to live for. To long for. To put your trust in for. You have hope. Yes, there's going to be dark days. Yes, there's going to be hard times. Yes, there's going to be times when you are on your knees in tears, praying to God, asking for relief, asking for help. Yes, you're going to face some tough times. But that's not the end of the story. Our hope, as the Hebrew writer would say, it doesn't end. That is, it doesn't go away. It's not feeble and changing like the weather. It's not here for a moment and gone the next. The writer says, we have as an anchor of the soul a hope both sure and steadfast and one which enters within the veil. I love that. As We have songs written about this. We have things on our walls to remind us of the power of this passage. The hope you have in Christ is a firm, sturdy anchor that's not going anywhere. It is safely planted to the throne of God. Brother Bowman once wrote a poem about that very thing. Pictures your hope as a rope. A rope that is tied to the anchor. Cast from earth all the way to the throne of God. And that rope following its trail all the way back to you. So picture that for a moment. Your hope is a rope tethered to the throne of God. He writes these words when he says, he says, when you're down and out and no one seems to care, pull on the rope. When you've momentarily lost your way and everything seems to be blurred, pull on the rope. When depression seems your lot, and you call out and, and no one answers. Pull on the rope. When there's bad news on top of bad news, pull on the rope. When you're tired and it still must be done and you feel like you just can't go on, pull on the rope. When time has eroded your health and this time it's worse than ever, pull on the rope. When you suddenly realize it's your fault, and saying, I'm sorry, it just sticks in your throat, pull on the rope. When shame and disgrace have cast you into a pit of despair and no one really seems to care, pull on the rope. When death has come and robbed you of someone near and dear, pull on the rope. And when you must finally come to face your own mortality, brethren, on the rope. You face those storms of life. And you wonder, is God still good? Is heaven for me? Will I see this loved one again? And we open up God's word and we read his promises and we pull on that rope and we find it's not going anywhere. Safe and secure, firmly planted. It's the anchor for your soul. Good brethren, don't give up on God. Don't quit on God. Great things are in store for those who keep on walking with Him. Your difficult times may come and you may face some storms. Don't stop walking with Christ. Don't stop trusting in the Lord. We have hope. One day, one day the Lord will come. One day we'll stand before the throne. One day we'll be with our loved ones once again. 
And that day won't come to an end. Walk with Christ. Trust in God. Hang on to your hope. In fact, my wife gave me a gift <clears throat> when we were engaged. It's reminded me of all of this. Every time I see it, it's on our fridge. It's a little magnet. My favorite gift she ever gave me, two bucks. She left the price tag on, two dollars. It's a little magnet with a picture of, of a sunset. It has trees and, and birch resting on the branches. But the words on the magnet say this. They say, grow old with me. The best is yet to come. And I love that. I love that magnet. I love it because it reminds me of, of the woman I married. Truly a wonderful gift from God. Reminded how much she loves me and cares for me. How thankful I am to God for her. But that magnet has come to mean something very special because I realize it's not just my wife who has said that to me. Brethren, that is God's word to every one of us. Grow old with me. Just stay with me. Keep trusting in me. Keep working. Keep being faithful. Keep, keep on toiling. Keep on running. Stay with me. Grow old with me because I promise you the best is yet to come. Good brethren, grow old with God. Be faithful to your God. We will find together one day the best truly is yet to come. And if you're here and you haven't even started that journey, tonight would be a great night to do so. Maybe you're here and you have questions about God. Maybe it's been a long time since you've been walking with Him. And you need some help getting back. You need some prayers to get your life back right. Or just some encouragement to get back on your path. We'd love to help you. We'd love to. And so the song we have right now is just for you. And these pews are open just for you. If we can help you tonight in any way, right now, come on forward as we stand and as we sing.